Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Ajina Mashira. I want to thank you for tuning in today. As you know, it's Transformation Tuesday. And as always, my goal is to provide you with information that will enlighten, inspire, and empower you to make change. For the last few episodes, I've reached out to different people who can provide information that you can use. And I've already done a couple of episodes about the topic of education. You all know how passionate I am about education. And um, what I've decided to do was go out and get three additional guests who work in the field of education um, and allow them to share their experience as educators, specifically Black men. Um, As you all know that there are very few Black men who are in the field of education. However, their presence is greatly needed. So today, my guests are Mr. Myron Broom, who is a veteran educator with more than 20 years of experience in urban, suburban, and rural schools. Um, He has a wealth of knowledge in the area of curriculum instruction and management as an administrator, instructional coach, and his his teaching garners growth um, to help with uh, the comprehensive planning and progress monitoring within schools. He also is um, a part of the Georgia school system, and he has experience working in middle school as well as high schools. Uh, He is married with four children, and he is the proud member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. My second guest, who is someone who is very dear to me, um, Mr. Ernest Horton, Coach Ernest Horton. Uh, Ernest was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, which is, of course, my hometown, and he attended Hyde Park Career Academy and was a standout student athlete. Uh, Coach Ernest was offered a baseball scholarship at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, where he earned his Bachelor of Science in Physical Education and Health in the fall of 2009. Upon his graduation, he returned to Chicago and began his education and teaching career. Ernest has also earned an MA in Educational Leadership from DePaul University, and he is currently approaching his 11th year in education, specifically teaching physical ed. He is now at Proviso East High School in Maywood, Illinois. In addition to teaching, Ernest also serves as a mentor teacher, a volleyball and basketball coach, which has also enriched his teaching experience over the years. But he's known by me as well as other parents as a baseball coach. Um, He is the CEO of JAM Baseball Training. And JAM Baseball Training provides elite baseball training to youth in underserved communities in the Chicagoland area. He is also a part-time coach with the Chicago White Sox 
Amateur City Elite Program. Ernest is married to his wife, Ashley, and they have two little sluggers, Ernest Jr. and Emmanuel Duke. And last but not least, Ernest is an active member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. And my third guest, last but certainly not least, um, a very dear friend of mine, um, who I have had the pleasure of knowing for well over 30 years, um, Mr. Trevor Scott. He is the technology coordinator of the Air Force Academy High School. He has served as a tech coordinator in other schools within Chicago Public Schools, including elementary and high schools. Um, Trevor has also worked for Catholic schools as well as gifted and after-school programs. Um, Trevor attended Tennessee State University where he majored in mechanical engineering. Uh, he is also married with one daughter and Trevor is an active member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. So as you can see, I have the men of Omega Sci-Fi who are going to join me today on this episode of Light It Up. So I want you to stay tuned and listen to our conversation on the other side. Light it up. Today, I have three very um, distinguished guests, the professional men of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, um, Mr. Myron Broom, Mr. Ernest Horton, and Mr. Trevor Scott, who are all educators. Welcome to Light It Up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for agreeing to join me today. Um, so I want to talk to you all about the state of our educational system, but particularly um, as it relates to the importance of Black men working in the field of education. And all of you collectively, I think I've done the math, have about mm, 40 years collectively of teaching experience or educational experience. And so I want to um, give you all an opportunity to introduce yourselves to my listeners um, and give a little bit of your background. So I will start with um, Mr. Myron Broom. Thank you very much, Dr. Muhammad. And again, it's a pleasure being here. I appreciate the opportunity. I am a 20-year veteran. I've been in administration, teacher in the classroom, a paraprofessional. Uh, I've worked in suburban school districts, inner city school districts, um, worked in rural school districts. I've taught white, black, Hispanic, rich, uber rich, poor, extremely poor. I've taught the gambit of students. And here are two things I, I want everyone to know. Kids want to know two things. One, do you love them? Do you believe in them? Are you going to protect them? And two, they want to know how you're going to engage them so that whatever you have in your brain and in your heart, they can acquire those tools and be a good credit to the community and exceptional citizens for this country. So I've dealt with a lot of different people. I've dealt with a lot of different kids throughout, throughout my tenure as an educator. And it's, it's great to, to be in a situation where we can express the importance of Black men in education. Thank you. And Mr. Ernest Horton. Uh, Doc, thanks for having me again. So I'm um, Ernest Horton, also known as Coach Horton, also known as Coach E. 
Um, this is my 10th year of coaching, my 10th year of teaching, and also uh, I'm a Chicago product, went to High Park Career Academy, graduated, was fortunate enough to receive a baseball scholarship to the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, played four years there, um, came back home, started teaching CPS. Currently, I'm teaching in Proviso East, that's Proviso Township High School. Um, the biggest thing is with us teaching, being black men, we got to be consistent, we got to be firm, we have to be fair. Absolutely. And we, we go back, we have history because you're my son's baseball coach. Yeah. He's not <laughs> playing baseball anymore. And I was looking forward to him continuing because I enjoy being a baseball mom, but that's neither here nor there. Um, maybe we can get him back on the field soon. And uh, Mr. Trevor Scott, if you will please introduce yourself. Okay, uh, my name is Trevor Scott. I am also a product of Chicago Public Schools, graduated from Morgan Park, then went to Tennessee State, where I actually studied mechanical engineering, and then ended up in the education field. I was a little taken aback by uh, Mr. Broom saying he had 20 years experience, and then I realized how many years I have, and I was like, oh, I, I guess we may be somewhat in the same um, era of experience. Um, in addition, I have been a coach. All of my coaching has been chess. So I can say that at least my, my the way I look at it, my coach was, my coaching experience was trying to enhance intellectual and physical at the exact same time. Um, I have taught in CPS. I have taught Chicago Catholic. I have worked in numerous uh, gifted programs outside of the schools. So I also have a pretty wide gambit as far as the kids that I've taught and what I can say that they need. And I'm going to piggyback Mr. Broom and say he is absolutely correct. The number one thing that kids want to know, hey, do you really support me? If a kid knows that you really have their back, you really are vested in their growth and what they will become, that's the best thing you can give any student. And you're absolutely right. And of course, our history goes back 30 years. Yes. Dating you, not me. <laughs> um, our, our history goes back 30 years because we, we did attend Morgan Park together through the seventh and eighth grade gifted program. Absolutely. And graduated together because I graduated early. So um, I, I like how you threw that in there. Yeah. I, I like how you <laughs> so let me let me actually start with you because you majored in mechanical engineering. And I mean, I just remember when we were in school, I remember you, the physics guy, you know, always being into math and science. At least that was my perception of you. How did you um, enter into the field of education after, you know, pursuing a degree in mechanical engineering? So actually, this story starts with me and you because it dates back to Morgan Park. Uh, I will not use his name, but the physics teachers that were at Morgan Park, I felt that they didn't completely understand me. They didn't completely understand how I learned some of our classmates. Uh, we've had conversations about this, and we felt that the lessons could have been uh, taught better. They just really didn't know how to speak to us. And therefore, it was way back in Morgan Park where I made the decision that once I left the field of engineering, 
that I would go teach physics just for the sake of I see how important physics is, the way you think if you have a good physics background. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking from mechanical engineering, so I'm a little biased. Mm -hmm. But the problem-solving techniques that you learn in mechanical engineering, and I can say I had a great, great foundation in physics, I wanted to make sure that the next generation was able to better understand that foundation and be able to grow in a technical field. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to need you. My son is going to need you. He's entering into his junior year mm -hmm. at Flossmore High School, and he is in the Project Lead the Way program, the engineering track, and he will be taking physics, honors physics in the fall. So we need to have you on retainer. For two Considering it's your son, I expect nothing less than honors since you graduated early. <laughs> genetics, genetics. Um, so Myron, um, what about you? What made you decide now? Did you um, know when you were an undergrad that you were going to pursue um, a, a career in education. I know you talked about that you kind of went through the ranks in terms of being a paraprofessional, and then a teacher. You're, you've been in administration as well in terms of being a department chair. So did you know that this was the path that you were going to um, take professionally? No, not at all. Uh, I actually had plans. When I entered college, I had plans on either going into marketing acting something where I can make a lot of money. That was my, that was my focus. Um, but it's, it's interesting that, that Trevor mentions, he thought of, about his time in school and how he made his decision then and actually reflecting upon when I was told that I was going to be a teacher actually didn't happen in college. It happened my junior year in high school and my junior year teacher said, I want you to go and take a picture with the future teachers of America. You're going to be a teacher. And I, and I remember this clear as day. I started laughing. I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. You don't make any money. And then it would be my luck that I would have a classroom full of students who are just like me. And so she says to me, stop being an antagonist and go and take the picture. I said, I'm not even in future teachers of America. And she says, go take the picture. You're going to be a, a teacher. And so that actually set me on the path to be a teacher. And, and I didn't know it. So I followed directions, took a picture, stayed in Future Teachers of America, went to school, got a dual degree in education and in English to become a teacher. And uh, what really solidified it was that in high school, I talked about being a teacher, but I wasn't really sure. And my sophomore year in, in college, I actually worked at the Salvation Army um, Center in Nashville. And there I was helping to teach young children English. They needed an, an English teacher. And you're talking about coming across some of the, the, the brightest, youngest minds who were abused, who were neglected, so you saw some kids who had promise, but that that education light was was snuffed out long before they ever had an opportunity to grow. And so that made me hungrier to be an exceptional teacher. And then I had the opportunity to 
actually worked for a former superintendent in Georgia, he said, hey, I'm trying to run this new suspension program where kids are suspended from school and they actually come here and get their work done. Do you want to be part of it? And I said, yeah. So it had always been in me, but I didn't make the decision. The decision was made for me by another teacher who directed me to go into a field that I really had never considered. Wow, that's interesting. That means that she must have had a, a profound impact on you. Miss Mance, 11th grade English teacher, I'll never forget. Okay. And what about you, Coach Horton? Uh, mine was similar to Brother Trevor's. Um, in high school, we used to have to umpire the Southside YMCA Little League games, like the 78 minor leagues, 9 to 10. You know, the whole thing has changed now. But I remember the parents asking me, was I a coach or a teacher already? I'm like, no, I'm still in high school. And like one of the parents like, that's, that's what you're going to do. You know, old man smoking a cigarette, you know, <laughs> standing on the corner picking his grandson. I was like, that's what you're going to do. And I, I looked at him like, yeah, all right, whatever. I got to school, got to college, got to Pine Bluff, and it was time, as you, everyone knows, time to pick a major. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, what am I good at? Good at sports. Okay, so how am I going to make money off doing sports? Because starting out, this is a little history, a lot of people don't know, starting out in coaching, you don't make any money, man. You're, you're almost virtually homeless. <laughs> so I knew I didn't want to go down that road. Um, so I started looking into the School of Education. I actually took down there to practice tests and mm -hmm. basic skills. I actually passed the test before enrolling junior year. And the dean of education was like, you did the hard part. You passed the test now to take the class of student teach. Right. And that, that kind of got me set. I guess in high school, it was the early calling. I didn't recognize it or acknowledge it, but it later on came back to me around my sophomore year of college. I mean, and I can say, honestly, you really are great with the youth. I mean, I, the, you know, I'm looking at it from a parental perspective, looking at how you've coached. And I knew that you were an educator, you know, when we met, but it just seems like you just were really passionate about working with those young boys. Um, and that's what I always liked about you. Um, and then there was another coach and now I can't, his name escapes me right at the moment and he went to UIC he was the pitching coach your partner I can't think of his name UIC he he went to UIC and ended up getting a master's in youth development Troy Williams there we go see Troy I, Williams. I, I, yeah. I remember the last name yeah yep, Troy Williams. So you two together I mean I just remember oh. how you all interacted you know with the young men um so considering that Black men, black male teachers, I should say, make up 2% of the teaching population in the U.S. Now, Myron, you already, you know, mentioned how when your 11th grade teacher said you're going to be a teacher and you hadn't considered it because of the perception. First thing you said is they don't make money, you know, they have to deal with behavior issues, etc. Why do you think that um, in this particular field that um, the demographics reflect only that black men only make up 2% of the population in terms of the uh, teaching profession? Do you think it's because 
of maybe the perception that people have of educators or what do you think is the reason for that? Part of the reason is in, in, in black communities, in black culture, that's not the thing to be. It's, it's more of, it's, it's the athlete, it's the entertainer that gets the focus. And so because that isn't necessarily the discussion because our our focus is is on the skill that can ensure or guarantee the most money we typically direct our children toward fields that are actually not comparable to the number of people getting in and actually being successful so you have all these kids who are trying to play football and basketball and baseball and they get private tutors and training and they go to AAU and they go to summer league and they train and they eat right and they go on these crazy diets and they do that and, and now as soon as basically they can walk and they go through that through all their years they matriculate all their years and in the process, if they kind of sort of get an education, as long as they make good grades, that's fine. But the focus is, what can I do? Can I go to this high school where such and such is going to be so we can win a state championship so I can at least do two years in school or one year in, in college and then get drafted? And what they don't realize is the probability of you getting drafted is slim. Whereas if that same energy, if that same enthusiasm, that those same endeavors are placed and focused on education, where you actually can ensure your livelihood and be successful as an engineer, as a coach, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a judge, as a principal, then the prestige isn't necessarily the amount of money that you make but the influence that you have and so uh, as since it's it's not the it's not our focus in our community then men typically don't come into this field so is it the money eh, yeah education is, can be pretty lucrative is it the focus yeah maybe not but we don't we don't center our children on education and because we don't see any value in it or we see minimal value in it in comparison to having an entourage and, and being great and 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 we and we suffer as a community because of that got it anything you trevor or ernest want to add actually yes um and myron broom you are 100 percent correct in that it is, we're not spoon fed to pursue those type of careers. But the reason that we're not spoon fed them is education just doesn't have a marketing campaign. Whereas every major sport has TV exposure every single day. Even right now, during this time, there are, they're showing classic games on tv they're going back 30 years to show the jordan thing on tv the sports has a they have a great marketing machine behind it and so if we were to rethink 
that. And if we put a marketing machine behind education, you know, our parents, they weren't marketed to education. Our grandparents really weren't marketed to education. Our great-grandparents were. And the reason why is because that was the beginning of Black colleges. You know, I just learned about the first Black high school. This is something I just learned very early this morning. The first Black high school, um, what is it, east of the Mississippi, is in St. Louis. And it was, uh, I don't want to misquote, but it was something that I just learned today. And it's something that everyone in St. Louis is extremely proud about. Those who go to that school, super duper proud. And so if you go back two or three generations, then yes, education was a field that was spoon fed to us as being lucrative, but then very quickly they shifted that. And I'm gonna add on to Brother Broom and Brother Trevor, because they're both 150% correct. I'm gonna pick it back on uh, Brother Trevor with the two generations back. If right now, our history with any facet of life with black men has been erased. Um, if you think about the, the highest intellects of W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, Ernest Everett Just, were professors, were teachers. The first thing they did was teach, right? So that also had to do with them being the leaders of their household. It wasn't just, I'm gonna pick up the sledgehammer, nail down, you know, the nail in the, in the tracks, but they also had to lead by teaching. So I think Brother Trevor hit it on the head. It's kind of a generational thing. And then also with the development of the quote unquote fast dollar, um, a lot of, and then a lot of us also think we're bigger in this today's time, 2020, 2020 black man, right? We think we're bigger than education, right? We want to get on the real estate game. We want to get on the, I want to play the stock market. I want to sit at the table with John and Jim and tell, show them I could become a millionaire also. So that, it, that's a mindset, you know. So is it safe to say that integration had an effect on, um, on Black men or Black people in general? Because actually, um, like when you look at the statistics, so 23% of men are in the teaching profession of that, 77% are women, 23% are men. So then when you factor in black men and you start look, you know, breaking it down to race, then of course, you know, the 2%, I guess you could see why it's, it's that way. Because if you just look at it and say, oh, wow, two, um, black men only make up 2% of the teaching profession, that seems to be very dismal. But men don't necessarily go into the teaching profession anyway. So. <laughs> And the reason why teaching is considered more of a um, nurturing mm -hmm. type of career. And um, the nurturers, unfortunately, have always been the women. Well, I'm not going to say unfortunately. Thank God it's been you women because I, I'm not the hugging type of guy. You know, that's not what's in me. Um, and I'm sure Ernest will, I know for a fact he knows this. With me coaching grammar school chess, Literally, I was coaching second graders, and um, the kids would say, oh, can I get a participation ribbon? And I'd have to be like, no, you don't get a participation ribbon. No. But we, in my program, we win trophies. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then they'll go talk to their parents, and the parents would come to me. Well, you know, he really wants a participation ribbon. Oh, okay, well, um, transfer schools. 
go do something else. As long as he plays chess, he or she plays chess for me, then no, we don't do participation. We win. This is what we do. And so that type of, and I'm saying, I caught a lot of flack for that. Mm-hmm. My principal wanted to beat me up. Uh, my principal's boss would want to come talk to me, but then I would show them. But look at all of these trophies. I have proof in the pudding. Yes, I'm hard on them. Yes, I demand more of them. In chess, my kids were doing more push-ups than the basketball team. And it was something that I was demanding of them. No, you're going to be balanced. You're going to understand how to use physical and mental strength. Now, that type of thing is really frowned upon in education. That is not the type of thing that you want from your teachers, especially at the young primary ages. So that is why I think more women go into education because they don't have second graders who can't do uh, a night queen checkmate uh, being punished with push-ups. <laughs> okay, so speaking of, because as I'm listening to that, um, I'm thinking about how in some um, school settings, since there may be um, few men in the building, and so maybe you could share what's the um, setup in your particular school buildings. Do you find that um, if you are one of few men in the building, do you find that the other teachers or even you know the administrators, the principal, assistant principal, if they're women, for example, do you find that you are called upon to deal with disciplinary issues? Because I know sometimes I've heard of, you know, those situations where if there's a man in the building, he may be the math teacher, but they still send the student to him to, you know, handle a disciplinary matter. I think, I think that the discipline for the men in the building, I think that um, kind of stigma is more pushed towards elementary school. Um, I don't want to stereotype, you know, I'm, I'm not stereotyping here, but in my experience and my, you know, colleagues, and I've had an understanding to know that, that that stigma has been more so elementary school. High school is pretty much, if a teacher can't deal with it, it'll be the dean and then they go out to hire to see change. But I think that stigma is primarily from elementary school. And I think the reason why is from the elementary school, because elementary school is more family, right? You go from kindergarten to eighth grade in Chicago together. Right. So nine times out of 10, you're gonna live around the corner from each other. So I think that stigma has got placed in a lot of teachers' heads as data mama and whoever's in the building, that's daddy, right? Mm-hmm. And in the black household or many households, black or brown color, Dad is the disciplinarian, mom is the nurturer and the educator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but on the contrary, I've had, over my 10 years, I've had some women way tougher than men who laid along and get out on the kids, you know, not beating them or anything, but don't take any type of mess. So, but I think that, to, to wrap that up, that question, I think that stigma is primarily more so in the elementary, elementary to middle school. Coach, Coach, I'm gonna tell you the truth. It's, it's worldwide. 
that stigma is at middle school and high school level and and it's not just at at black schools and it's and it's not just with bad you know quote unquote bad kids go to if you are a sound teacher if you are thoroughly immersed in your craft and you have classroom management and you're not scared of the kids and you can be in the hallway and you can do this you know i'm triple b i'm big black and i'm bald-headed so automatic <laughs> so automatically you're supposed to have presence I'm, i mean stereotypes run amok okay <laughs> so when so when white people say i don't see color yes you do because when you have an issue you you drop off little johnny black people be like we all the same no we're not because when you have an issue you drop i can't deal no more mr broom and so and so that concept and and, and coach horton is right there's some there's some women out here who who are just you know, brass tacks, because unfortunately, some of the men are so, so soft. And, and I know I'm, I'm not using politically correct terms, but it's okay. Yep. They're, they're so soft, they're so weak, they're so raggedy that they don't have presence and they further demystify the rest of us who actually are, you know, unicorns, you know, <laughs> in the building. So that when we speak, you know, the, the, the kids say, come on, let's go to class. Mr. Broom is coming. Or you say, guys, what y'all doing? And the kids want that because it's not just discipline. It's also self-respect from us. We continue either what they see at home or we, or we further sustain their concepts of what men in education really sound like and look like. Not only is he big, black, and bald, but he's smart, and he loves us, and he cares. And I want to I want to go back one second, Dr. Muhammad, if I can, about integration. Integration was a necessary evil. What we got away from is that when we went around other people, now here's where Mr. Scott comes in we lost our ability to compete. Now, all of a sudden, we only compete against people who are of a different race or a different color. That's our competition. But among ourselves, we got comfortable. And we got comfortable to a point to where we wanted, we wanted to beat the kids on the other side of the, of the other side of town, but we didn't necessarily compete hard enough against the kids in our own class or in our own building because we already know we're smarter than them. So we we kind of relaxed at practice when we were beating, when we were playing schools that were like us. But when we knew we had to go across town against somebody else, we really pumped it up that week in practice. When we're playing chess against people who look like us, we kind of relax because we're comfortable with that. So what we did was as a generation, now I'm talking about the four of us, as our generation, guess what we did? Because like Mr. Scott said before, our great grandparents had instilled in us that competition. When we became parents, we said, man, I'm gonna give my kid everything I can to make their life easier. Because if I give them more, 
then they will be able to do more. But we were able to do more because we had less. So now you got kids, they got the, they got the Jordans, they got the, they got the ear pods, they got the beats, they have all of these materials, but because we've consistently have given them ribbons, we've become helicopter parents and submarine parents and balloon parents and slow, snowplow parents, and we've kept them away from any all adversity. They've had no reason to persevere in any situation. Thus, when they come across men like us, now all of a sudden, you got to do some push-ups if you miss that move. And you get in trouble for that by people who don't know what it takes to win because they ain't never want nothing. They don't know how to compete because they haven't been trained to compete. So when they come across competitors and conquerors and winners like us and we're showing them, it is mystifying to them because they've never seen it before. So then we become magical unicorns where when we walk and talk, guess what? People listen. So, Brother Broom, I'm going to say you're 90%, 96% correct. Where's the four? The four where you're incorrect. And I think it's everything you said was right except for competition. And I believe where, and maybe it's, maybe it's just uh, geographical. As I, I know your background, you grew up in Memphis. I grew up here in Chicago. I feel that at least what I have seen is we actually compete harder against ourselves. And then when we get around the other people, that is when we tend to lay down like lambs. And I'm saying that from children all the way up to adults. I have and, and, you, and you're right, it, it must be geographical South versus Midwest. What do you think, Mr. Horton? Um, I've actually seen, it, it, it's kind of ironic. I've seen both kind of what Brother Broom and Brother Scott were talking about. I know it was a saying in baseball, you know, if it's a neighborhood rivalry, y'all trying to tear each other heads off. But we go 40 miles down the road to, let's say, Downers Grove or anything, y'all find every excuse in the world. Then it's also been times where we play, quote unquote, down to the competition. but all of a sudden, in any like little Johnny, when the lights are on, it's a championship game against Downers Grove. This kid did something that he ain't, I ain't seen him do all year. So I think both sides are valid. Um, I, I, I honestly believe that when you're talking about competition, many parents, both of them are right on this, many parents do not understand what it truly means to compete. And when you compete, it's either one or two things. You win or you lose. But if you lose, you got to learn. If you win, you got to learn. So, and, and that's, that's it. A lot of people don't understand the learning aspect behind winning and the learning aspect behind losing. Just because you lost, you can't close your eyes and the world disappear. You, and, and a lot of parents, and I'm kind of glad that you brought this up, Coach Scott, a lot of parents think they can get out there, talk to a coach, talk to a principal, or a principal talk to the coach, and it's going to change something in the world. Nothing is going to change. In chess, like Brother Scott, is your player against another player with chess moves, his brain against that brain. And if you lose, it's, it's not bad to lose. It is, it's not bad to lose. 
you're going to lose every day of your life. You're going to be late on the bill. I, you're going to be late on the bill. You're going to forget about something. A girl's going to break up with you. A boy's going to break up with you. It, it, you're going to lose as long as you learn. You can move on to the next step of your either life, game, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm going to say now for for myself, I just growing up, I remember my father was heavily involved in my education and not to discount my mother at all, but my father was an entrepreneur. So he had the flexibility, you know, he was, he drove me to school every day, picked me up. And Trevor will attest to the fact that when we were at Morgan Park High School, I couldn't ride the bus. My nope. father was there and they used to joke about the nation being there to pick me up from school. Yes, we did. <laughs> but he was very involved. He wanted me to know that my, my academics were, um, were very important. My father um, had a high school education I think he, I know he went to city colleges, but he didn't have like a formal bachelor's degree or anything like that. And I remember he would always take pride in the fact that he was never intimidated by anybody. I mean, this man interviewed politicians, you know, businessmen, but never took a back seat because he was still, though he didn't have the formal degree or education, he still was a learned man and instilled in education in his children. And for me, since I work in the field of education, you know, I express to my children what my expectations are. You can't live in my house in half step. I'm sorry, just doesn't work that way. Nor am I coming to your rescue. You know, you have to try to advocate. So I teach my children, they don't like for me to say it, but I, I say to them, I'm not gonna always be there with you. You gotta right. learn how to communicate with your teacher, principal, whomever on your own, you know, be respectful, but you gotta learn how to do that. And I'll never forget, I got a phone call one day from the dean at the high school and I'm thinking, why are they calling me? Because I know my children aren't in trouble. But the phone call that I received was that they wanted to let me know there was a situation where I think my daughter had been supposedly marked as being tardy multiple times, but it turns out that there was another student who had the same name and the teacher was marking it incorrectly. And she, you know, explains to the dean, like, no, this is not me, you know, it's another student. And so the dean called to let me know. She said, I just want to let you know that, you know, your daughter was extremely respectful. She advocated for herself. Like she was not taking what I said to be the gospel, but you know, she said, whatever you're doing, keep it up. But they know you wear my name, you represent me, and you can't embarrass me. Um, so I try not to hold her hand. Um, I don't know how I was as a baseball mom. I don't think I was that mother saying, play my son. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I, say, you're I, don't, fine. I don't remember that. Like, do your thing. This is not, I'm not trying to coach. I don't know anything about that. All I know is how to cheer my son on and videotape. You guys but, didn't wear the proper apparel. It was cold out there. Y'all was out there <laughs> and trying to look cute. They, this, I try to tell them all the time, you better, uh, the mamas do this. They, they want to come out there, their nails done. You better put them gloves and that hat on and bundle up. <laughs> hey, back to my Yes, sir. One thing that you just said as far as being a baseball mom, 
Mm -hmm. um, going back to your original question, as far as black men in the uh, classroom and so forth, one thing I'm going to say, and I'm willing to bet that both um, Brother Broom and Brother uh, Horton are going to agree with, is that as we all have said, none of us were light on our kids. Like we we weren't the hand holding, hugging mm -hmm. type of uh, educators, but the kids who I call my kids from way back when I was in elementary school to even now, my graduates from high school, unfortunately, I can't shake them. Like they are reaching out to me for everything. And they'll tell me like, they'll meet up, you know, with their former classmates and so forth. And one of them be like, man, Mr. Scott was like, yeah, he was so hard and that or that. And the kids who are my kids, they'll say, no, nah, Mr. Scott wasn't hard. He just didn't take it. Mm -hmm. He was the one who, if you didn't give your best, he'll tell you that you were playing around. You didn't bring it like you were supposed to bring it. But he wasn't hard on you. He just didn't allow for you to slack off. The same thing that you're saying in your house mm -hmm. that you don't do. See, but that's in your house. Right. As far as in the schools, you know, it, it's we as black men, we're kind of supposed to. I'm not even gonna get into emasculation, but we're supposed to kind of be. Please, I'll get into it then. You gonna take that one? I'll Brother take Brother? that one. Yes, go Brother ahead. I'm Brother. sorry. I'll go take that one. Oh, I was, I was gonna wait till you were done. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So no, we are we are. They want us to be the hand holders and the huggers and so forth. But in all honesty, well, you really don't want us in the classroom if you want us to do that. What you want from, the reason that you want black men in the classroom is so we can teach young black boys and young black girls, uh, show young black girls what to expect of from a proper man. But more importantly, the gap, well not more importantly, but equally important to guide young black boys, these are the steps. You walk right behind me everywhere I step. This is where you step. Hopefully you got dad at home. Hopefully you got an uncle. But just in case you don't, then I'm going to show you a proper black man. Mm -hmm. Not on the corner. Not hooping. No. Just a man. Living as men are supposed to live. Okay. Done. But again, hopefully Brother Broom from um, Tennessee State and even from um, Arkansas Power Bluff, I'm certain that both of you can agree, yes, this is what is supposed to be as far as a black man in the classroom, what's supposed to be, but then again, what they try to take away from us at the exact same time. So, and, and, and Mr. Scott, you're right. You know, the, the ironic term toxic max masculinity mm -hmm is so dangerous, not just to black men, but to men. And it is more dangerous to women. It's more dangerous to our little girls. It's more dangerous to little children, and here is why. Toxic masculinity automatically defines anybody with a spine that if you do anything that is considered to be for boys or for men, then you are wrong. 
when Mr. Scott says we're not the hand-holding type, he's not talking about we don't hug our kids, we don't love our kids, we don't tell them that we that we don't love them, that we don't care. What that term means is I'm not going to hold your hand is I'm not going to permit you to not reach your highest aspiration with your deepest thought because you want to quit, because it gets hard, because it's difficult, because we have seen exceptional examples where folks in insurmountable situations have overcome, who have persevered, who have endured all kinds of, of tragedy. And if they can make it with less, surely we can make it with just a little bit more. Like one of my teachers said to me, I've done so much with so less for so long, I can now do anything with nothing. Yep. So when we're demonstrating what a strong black man is, when I yell, when I put on the yell voice, it's when you hear it, you know I'm raising my voice to get your attention, not because I'm trying to intimidate you, because I'm a man myself. When my principal yells, I don't get upset and angry. I don't think he's doing too much or he's doing the most. He's trying to get my attention because it permeates love. It is with discipline because that's what discipline is. That's what love is. But when we say you're being too hard or you being this or that's you being too rough, what we're ultimately saying is we want our children to have rights without responsibility. We yeah. want them to have privilege, but no perseverance. We want them to have all of the accolades but we don't want them to have any adversity. So now you want literally your kid to get that purple ribbon, that pink ribbon, and they've done nothing. Well, me as a man, I can't let that happen. My father didn't let that happen. My uncles didn't let that happen. My coaches didn't let that happen. The men who were involved in my life, that's not how they were raised. And I know it works, because it's worked for one other guy who I just met tonight, who in our brief conversation, we have the exact same situation. We have the exact same upbringing and we didn't know each other. And why does that work? Because other cultures, other races, other religions do the exact same thing we do. But when it's for us, it's toxic. And what they ultimately want us to do is to stand apart and take on qualities, characteristics, and traits that are not beholden of a man in the first place. Nope. You preaching today? And, and so in education, in education, when, when a young girl, when one of my female students comes to me and she puts her arms around me, I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't get scared. I don't push her off because she is hugging me the way that a young girl is supposed to hug a father figure. Exactly. When I hug my young men, I ain't gay, I ain't no pedophile, because I'm holding him the way a man is supposed to hold his son. 
And when they say toxic masculinity, they are trying to emasculate and castigate black men from entering into a profession that provides us the ultimate freedom. And I'm not gonna change that. I'm gonna interact with my kids. I'm gonna continue to intimidate, bully, harass, haze my students. I'm going to continue to do it. And I'm going to openly defy any and everyone who says do it this way, because that way does not work for this child. This child needs to be protected. This child needs an advocate. And toxic masculinity cannot be my abyss to make you happy. And, that, and that kid's going to love you 25 years down the road. Absolutely. Yep. And this is a perfect segue because I want to ask you, all three of you all are in the high school setting, right? right? So what type of impact do you think that you are having on your students? And I know, Trevor, you mentioned that some of your students, you know, come back and talk about the impact that you have, but what type of in impact do you all think that you're having? Let's start with you, Ernest Horton. Um, Just... Recently, and this is kind of, this is crazy, because um, I first started teaching at Urban Prep. You know, it's a charter school, but it's still considered under the CPS umbrella. Yeah. Like, I want to say around eight or nine of my students are now members of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. And it's not, it wasn't just me. We had 12, and Trevor knows this, we, we had 12 to 13 good men of Omega Psi Phi. Like, not, not just members, we had men. Right, we didn't just have men, we had men of Omega Sci-Fi. And just that gratitude to have them email me, call me to say, hey coach, I need you to write a letter. Or seeing them texting me saying, big brother. It's like, what? And, and, and just also on the flip side, on the baseball side and the coaching side, like I got kids that signed professional contract. I got kids that went off to play college baseball and got degrees now. My kids currently entering high school. So them accomplishing something that they put up here as a goal, them doing that, that, that that's the gratification for me. And of course, like Brother Trevor said, they come back, thank you for everything you've done. You know, they always come back and be show gratitude, but I've really seen them have success or accomplish a goal that they wanted to do. That's the most rewarding, gratifying thing on earth. Because it, we, we get, and I, I know everyone can attest to this, you, you get the horror stories, right? You get the phone calls late at night, this student didn't survive or got put out the house or, you know, you got the horror stories. That's just, that's how life goes. So I think to really embrace the successes of them, that, that's the most gratifying part to me. Like I repost them on my Instagram, the Facebook, I text their mama's cousin and everything like, man, that, let me know what's going on. And the response from the parents is like, thank you so much, coach. I'm like, no, this is what I'm here for. But they're like, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and that's, I, I think when you get that, that's when you know that we're doing the right things. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to tell you, Coach E, um, I interviewed, um, well, it's Mikhail Muhammad. I'm actually, I'm friends right. with his mom and dad, but he's teaching at Urban Prep at the Bronzeville right. campus. So and okay. I know he's a member of Omega Sci-Fi, but he's like, I know. Yep. All right. Um, 
Trevor. So I wish that I could say the majority of um, my calls are just, hey, I just want to say thank you and so forth. I got this one kid who I call my son. He's, um, he isn't as a brother broom. I, I just, just now found out I'm BBB. I, I did not know this, this, uh, what, what was it, uh, broom? Big, Big bald black head. and bald. Big black and bald. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I just triple B. I, uh, I got this one kid came out of, um, Air Force and I call him my son and he's now about to apply for medical school, but this guy, he calls, and and I can tell my wife, yeah, my son on the phone. She knows who it is because he calls all the time. He, <laughs> like, what, what should I eat for dinner tonight, Mr. Scott? I'm like, man, get off my phone, man. Come on. Yeah, but it is because he was one of the ones who I really leaned on. And, you know, it was a bunch of graduations. I was going to go as far as – um. I was going to say the colonel. I was going to go to the now, uh, the general's chapter up in uh, Ohio. Uh, you gentlemen heard me. And um, it was a graduation I was supposed to attend up there this year. And it was one down in Huntsville I was going to go to this year. So it, uh, it's not just the thank yous. It's the, Mr. Scott, I've achieved this level in my life. And I need you here with me. My mom and my daddy there, my uncle there, but you have to be here to acknowledge that I've hit this level. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mr. Broom. See, I'm about to cry in a second. So I'm, I'm way softer than I was when I first started. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you all. I know some of his stories. That's why I'm laughing. I'm way, I'm way softer. I was, I was on the, thank God they didn't have Instagram and all that other stuff back then because I wouldn't have made it. I was actually walking through the airport and I, I had gotten off work and I was going to pick up my wife and I, I was walking through the airport and I had my bow tie on and this kid passes me and he says, Mr. Broom. And I turned and it was one of my former students. I said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a pilot. I said, no, you're not. I said, you'd rob somebody and stole their uniform. You're going to get arrested, right? <laughs> but I didn't say it in a jokingly manner. I actually said it pretty tough. I said, you'd rob somebody and stole their uniform. You don't get arrested. And he's like, no, no, Mr. Bro, for real, I'm a pilot. Look, I got my wings. And he showed me everything. And I said, why in the world did you become a pilot? He said, Mr. Broom, I wanted to go and see other places that we read about. I wanted to go see them. And I said, all right. I said, you got a family? He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm married. He said, I got kids. I said, some woman let you have kids with her? <laughs> I said, I need to talk to her. He's like, no, 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 really. And it was a, it was a brief conversation, but it was filled with not surprise, but this is what I kind of told him. I'm not surprised. That's what you're supposed to do. And you would see the pride in his face that what he accomplished as a pilot, as a family man, as a, a well-traveled man, I'm supposed to do this. 
Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be the best. I'm supposed to win. That's part of my DNA. That's part of who I am. And so these two gentlemen are right. I can't hardly go anywhere without seeing a former student. But, but here's the rub. When you get the admiration from their parents and from, and from their children and from their spouses, then you know you've made your proper mark in that child's life. That, that is the essence of the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Now, what I've done is I've instilled the proper values, the proper morals, the proper ethics, the proper principles in a child who is now extending that same right to others. It makes me feel good. I wish I got some money for it, but, you know. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> so I'm going to say, is it safe to say that when you, when you see your students, you know, when, you, when they tell you what an impact that you've made um, on their lives, does that make you feel like being in this profession is rewarding? No doubt. All right. Um, I know we're kind of running um, low, short on time, but I want to know um, what's next for you all. Do you all foresee yourself remaining in education? Um, will you eventually pursue administrative roles or do you think you will remain, I'm going to call it, on the front lines as educators in the classroom? I, I've I've been in ad, admin before. Mm -hmm. um, now that I'm no longer in admin, when I get to admin again, I just want to do admin again so I can do it right. Before I was I was really focused on this. I got to get these scores. I got to change this discipline. And I left out the humanity part of it, the social emotional aspects of it that our, that our kids, that our leadership need to see that. So I, I want to not just do building leadership, but actually do front office leadership where the politics are, where education goes to die. We have to have those same loving, caring people in central office, in front office, so that they aren't just looking at PowerPoints and going to conferences and seminars, and then it's a trickle-down effect. I learned this in California, so this is going to work in Chicago. No, where did you get that? I went to I went to a New York seminar, so this is going to work in Georgia. What are you talking about? I went to Canada. Canada's doing no. This is where we are. This is how we grow our own. And so we have to put that humanity part back into, back into the people who make the decisions. And that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Coach Horton. And it, it's kind of ironic that you asked that. I had recently, and Brother Trevor knows this, I recently had an invitation to apply to several schools for admin positions mm -hmm. and also programs but um, I've come to find out that 
not knocking any admin. I don't want anybody, you know, seeing this and saying, oh, man, he is, he's pro you. He's bashing the admin. It's not that I love the dedication, the hard work that admin puts in. They sacrifice a lot of their personal life for the building. But right now, I think my calling is not admin. Um, being able to, you know, I'm in a PE realm. So I see 50 to 60 kids per hour, 300 kids a day, and then coaching on top of that. So I think my reach is longer in the classroom, um, also being able to coach. And then I also have two small children myself. You know, my son, EJ, he turns three in August, and my other son, Emmanuel, he was just born in March. So I know that the same thing I preach to the parents that come to me, like I told you that, Ms. Muhammad, I say, hey, you really gotta invest in your child and spend time with your child in baseball and or the classroom. I got to practice what I preach. I, I firmly believe a lot of admin, in my experience, they lose their families over being an admin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not the vast majority, but I, I just firm, firmly believe the war is won, like you said, on the front line. And the teachers really drive education and values. Like right now, we're in COVID-19. Right. The teachers still have to disseminate the information. The teachers still have to pull resources. The teachers still have to make sure that that student learned and actually did their work. I know the admin has to do the political things and making sure the building is safe and seeing what board member doesn't like them. Uh, but no, that, that's just a joke. But I, I, I believe the calling for all of us is teaching. And to wrap it up, if you look at the early the early systems of the black school, the, the Negro school, right? Mm -hmm. The principal used to teach a class. If a lot of us really forgot, like the principal, the admin, the deans, they all taught a class and or was in the trenches with the teachers, which made the teachers run through a wall for the admin. So I think a lot of teachers who have, quote unquote, the bad admin, they feel in defense mode because they're like, man, be quiet. You don't know what I'm going through every day. You just come here to evaluate me, worrying about a test score. Yeah. You make $150,000, you don't you, get out of here. So I think kind of to pick it back on the original statement, Brother Broom and Brother Scott was talking about with the two and three generations ahead. This, our school system was two and three generations ahead of their time. When they had the principal, like you have custodians coming in helping teaching classes on um, physics. Like my grandfather used to tell me everybody was a teacher. They might not have been your teacher, but everybody pulled, rolled the sleeves up and got dirty. And I think right now, back to my statement, a lot of us, you know, think they're too big to educate or be a teacher. So I think, to make a long story short, I, I'm not leaving the classroom. I might die now. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Scott. Yeah, so for, and all of you actually do know me. Um, I like to talk bad to people when it's time to talk bad to people. And I feel that as an admin, you cannot do that. As an admin, you have to be the fair, everybody gives and everybody wins and so forth. That's the job of what the admin does. And I can understand it, but I cannot do that. Sometimes a parent needs to know exactly the truth and I, my filter is not strong at all. It, it's not. And so, yeah, it, piggybacking, I, I feel like this. I will go move to Georgia and go work for Brother Broom 
when he becomes an admin again. That I'm willing to do. But because he, he knows I protect him. <laughs> and Mom, Bruce, he didn't take, Mom, he didn't take his meds this morning, please. <laughs> forget, 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 forgive AP Scott. You know, we, we know how he is. He didn't take his meds. You know. <laughs> now, but let me tell you guys a very interesting story. So today, I'm at this sub shop. It's on um, an Ernest, it's on 95th. Uh, mm -hmm. East of the Plaza. It's a black-owned sub shop. And I'm talking to this cop. We're waiting on our food. We're standing outside. We're waiting on our food. And um, I told me and the cop were just talking. And I said, I used to work at Disney. And he said, and that cop, he's about our age. He's exactly our age. He said, did you know Mr. Page? Now, Mr. Page, I was there, well, I was there working there during his last few years. Now, Disney's an elementary school. This guy's our age. He's 40, and he still wants to tell me stories about him and Mr. Page. <laughs> Therefore, that guy had that much reach into his life mm -hmm. that 30 years later, he said, man, you, you did, did you know Larry Page? <laughs> he was like, his face lit up just because he finally met somebody that he can tell Mr. Page stories to, and they will understand. <laughs> For that reason right there, I have to stay on the front line. That and some people need to know the truth about themselves. For those two <laughs> reasons, I have to stay on the front line. Like Mr. Horton said that he, he may die in the classroom. I know eventually in this soft, touchy-feely world that we're in now where you have to worry about this person's feelings and that person's feelings. I'm not in a hurry to get put out of education. I'm not. <laughs> but I honestly know me. And it's going to be one of those days I'm going to be like, kid, if you don't go somewhere right now and take your mama with you. That's just me being honest with myself. I know how it's going to yeah. go. I'm getting a little tooth. I'm getting a couple of gray hairs. I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. So it's like, right. yeah. And, and Dr. Muhammad, I forgot to mention also, and I know, you, you know, we're editing and cut, but a, a lot of admin don't understand that you make the teacher's experience. Oh, absolutely. I think they, a lot of them just don't, I've been fortunate enough to have a really good admin experience. All my admin has been great. I have nothing to say about none of my admin that I've worked for. I've been blessed. But I've heard some horror stories from former colleagues and or people, you know, you got LinkedIn, Facebook, of just hearing horror stories of the personal battles between admin and or teacher or staff. And it, it's, it's disheartening to me that some admin treat teachers like they're just a number of robots. Like it, it I just want to make that point. Cause it's, I, mean, I hope somebody hears that because it's disheartening. Like, man. Yeah. Coach, coach, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're, you're absolutely positively right. There's some, there's some, and I know I was an excellent admin, so I'll throw myself in there. There's some, I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, I was, I was pretty good. There was some, there's some excellent, admin out there there's some terrible ad admin out there excellent teachers terrible teachers excellent kids terrible kids but i, I want to say this and 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 this is going to be my moniker 
People don't leave buildings. People leave people. Correct. Correct. There are some there are some teachers who have been in some really bad, god-awful buildings, but they love the kids. Mm -hmm. And and that admin, you know, is supporting them and loving them. And so they so they stay. And there are some teachers who are in some buildings. You say, why did you leave that building? That seems like you know the 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 lottery pick, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they get to talking about about people. People, teachers don't leave buildings. Teachers leave admin. Teachers leave bad situations. So I try to make sure that I don't forget that. And so, you know, I do put myself back in the trenches. You know, I I pick up a mop and I and I mop the floors and and you know, people like the custodians do that. I'll be like, I'm I'm a custodian right now, it's gotta get done. You know, you go in classes and, and you give your, you know, like when Mr. Scott is having a breakdown where he's about to be like, kid, let me tell you about yourself. Mr. Scott, take a break. I got your class. <laughs> I got your class. So I'm I'm glad that I'm glad you, that you had some good experiences with, with mm-hmm. admin. Um, but a lot of them really lose focus on what's on what's important because they are trying to get scores because their jobs are dependent upon it, you know? And, and and sometimes because they've been away from the classroom for so long, they, they, yeah. you know, I was just going to say that. So sometimes, I mean, they may need to go in there and teach a class or two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get, you your back, get your feet back dirty. Right. Right. Get your feet back dirty. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you all this. What can, um, what do you want parents to do in terms of their investment in their children's education, how they interact with you all as educators, what recommendations or advice can you give to parents? Stop being punks. And and I know that comes off horrible, but- Came off just right. I am so sick and tired of these parents coming to me. Oh, I don't know. What and this ah, ah, blah, blah. I'm talking about mothers and fathers. The fathers crying too. I I don't know. And I I, I tried to do this and blah blah blah. Look, did, you, did you sit down and ask your kid? Why are you asking me? Your, your kid's sitting right here. Why are you asking me? Have you asked your kid? Have you asked your child the fruit of your loins? Have you asked them the issue? If you haven't talked to them, what's your purpose in coming up here talking to me? I want to, I'm sorry, go ahead, coach. I apologize. Go ahead, coach. Right now, it's two folds for me. The first fold is you can't be a part-time parent. That is a 24-7 job. And when I say part-time parent is can't pick and choose what battles you're going to come fight the teacher about. Can't say, oh, my kid came home and said, you let somebody pick on him and you ain't do nothing about it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Adults talk to adults. I understand what you're saying, but, you know, and, and, and I think the second fold to that is they really have to have, and I told Dr. Muhammad this, they have to treat their child as an investment. Mm-hmm. If I'm sending my child somewhere for eight hours a day, I need to know what's going on in the classroom. I'm not, I'm not talking about in the hallway. I'm going to personally, 
I think every parent needs to know, train your son or daughter how to interact socially with everybody, treat others as you want to get treated. But I need to know about the learning happening. What are y'all doing in the classroom? I'm not, I'm not hearing about, he said this in the coat room. I'm not hearing about what they talking about on Facebook. What are you teaching? And I think in my 10 years of experience, that conversation has been, if I had to put a percent on it, it's less than 2%, right? In the black and brown community. We're so caught up in the noise and the mess and who's getting elected and all of this, but we're not talking about which Brother Broom, the essential stuff is learning. You go to school to learn, right? The second thing is you go to school to have a, a great positive experience, be safe and all that. And the third thing is you cultivate relationships that last a lifetime. Those three points are it. So I think stop being part-time and really treat your child as an investor. If you invest now, your turn is going to be great later. You can retire. You don't have to worry about paying his bills. You ain't got to worry about none of this other crap. You don't invest now. You're going to eventually pay later. Absolutely. And I'm just going to say, because now you all know, I'm always at my children's school. I sit on every committee there is, go to school board meetings. The only parents sitting in the school board meeting and the board members are like, Dr. Muhammad, is everything okay? Absolutely. I just want to know what you're talking about so I can understand, A, where my tax dollars are going. What's the curriculum going to be like? What are you planning so I'll know how to prepare and move ahead? And I, it, it really, I'm just going to tell you, it infuriates me when I hear parents talk about, well, I don't have time to come to this workshop. Wow. I don't have time to go to that meeting. No, you make time. I, I run a department at a university. I travel 30 miles, at least I was, per day, but I'm still going to show up for that 7 p.m. meeting and be engaged. Because what I learned is, first of all, teachers pay attention to the students who have involved parents. And your child is more than likely to get better opportunities when that parent is involved. That's just how it works. That's the honest to God truth. Yes. At the beginning of every school year, I send an email to all of my children's teachers and I introduce myself, let them know I'm a partner in their education. I don't expect any issues out of my child. However, here's my office number, my cell number, my work email and my personal email. You can call me like, I don't want our first interaction to be at parent teacher conferences and I'm just learning something or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get to parent teacher conferences, I've, you know, We've already been in communication. They know who I am. But well, see, the, with that though, see, you're this wonderful thing that we call a parent. Now, yeah. everybody's not a parent. Yeah, my term, what I used to use is birth givers. That's what I used to. <laughs> That's what I, I used to seriously say that I look them in the face. Oh, you're the birth giver. They get offended, and I'm like, oh, let me explain it to you why. But yeah, you are what's called uh, in a professional circle. We call you a for real, for real parent. If if a child has more video games than they do books, if a child has more apps on their phones than they do than than they do books, if a child has more clothes. If they have more access to 
materials that are not helping them advance education than they do books or magazines or graphic novels, that child is in trouble. Big trouble. Parents, parents have to be able to understand the importance of, of reading. And I'll give you a, a quick um, a quick example of Dr. Muhammad. I'm big, I'm big, big black bald headed black man. And so there was this boy, he was, he won't do what the teacher says. And they're studying, it's an English class. He's not reading what they're reading. So she's like, get him out. He, he disrespectful, he won't listen. So I walk over and he's reading a book. So he's reading, but it's not what she wants him to read. And he's reading a Donald Goins book. And so I say to him, hey man, what you reading? He's like, Donald Goins. I said, what you know about Donald Goins? He's like, Mr. Broom, I love his books. I said, you ain't read no Donald Goins books. He said, I've read almost all of them. I said, well, I've read all of his books. He was like, Mr. Broom, for real? I said, yeah. I said, tell me, what do you like about his books? He said, Mr. Broom, when you talk about El Dorado Red, and he goes into this situation, he comes out, he does this, and then when he flies out, and then they have this, and so then when they're having this kind of dialogue, Mr. Broom, then I was like, man, the plot gonna thicken there, because this right here is the climax. So I went to the teacher, and here's what I told her. I said, he is going to pass any test you give him. You have to know that what you want him to know, he already does. He's not doing it in the avenue of which you want him to do it. He's but he's reading smut novels. I said, first of all, that ain't smut novel. I said, first of all, that is a street novel written by a well-respected author. You want him to know about character. You want him to know about setting. You want him to know about dialogue. And he gave me information where he analyzed the behavior of a character. That's what we want them to do. But if we don't get kids engaged in reading, then they can't critically write. And if you can't critically write, that means you cannot critically think. And if you cannot read and you cannot write, then you have automatically shortchanged yourself on two of the great auras there are. I hope you can add. Let us hope. If you can't rewrite or do arithmetic, you're really in trouble. So parents have to know my kid needs to be reading. And it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be Khalil Gibran. All it needs to be is something that the kid wants to read that interests them. And, and, and Brother Broom, I'm going to pick you back just to, to, just to make a point, because I was just literally in my um, in a group me, a coach's group me, we were just talking about this. You know, I was explaining to a coach, everything that's on um, TV, virtual reality, the apps and everything, is written at a second to third grade level. Which means, like you just said, I love the point where you said you don't have to read Shakespeare, but you do have to read. Like that, that point is so powerful with the actual comprehension. You might not know the answer, but you can comprehend what question they're asking you in order to ask your teacher or ask Google now what it is, what it is that you're trying to answer. And then also, I really think to pick it back on the you made a statement about the video games. If a, if a child does have more video games than, let's say, books, they, they got to be able to understand that there is a market 
for video games, but you can't get to that market unless you're able to, like you said, read. I watched on ESPN yesterday. You know, I had to humble myself to my kids that I coach. I said, man, why you always playing that bull crap, blah, blah, blah. But I had to humble myself and change my way of thinking because Minecraft, people are getting paid to, kids are 16 years old getting paid to teach kids how to play a video game. So now yes. me having to humble myself and get with the times, now I have to say, hey, why don't you research or email somebody who's getting paid so they can teach you on how you can earn income or how you can go to school or go to coding school and everything. So absolutely, that's that's powerful. And it just recently happened. Like technology, I have a friend named Alex Huckabee. He said with this COVID-19 things, the whole economic, the way we do everything has changed. So now if we're not, if our kids are behind on this computer, don't know how to send an email attachment, don't know how to upload a video and read because every directions are going to be lengthy, but it's still going to be written at third grade level. They're not able to comprehend. We're, we're still behind. Right. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about how you all have transitioned to teaching during this COVID-19. Sounds like you guys are going to have to come back and be my guests. No problem. Okay. Um, so what I want to do, Coach Horton, could you, because I know you've got, you're doing something on Instagram, yeah. YouTube. Could you tell the folks where they can um, check you out and, and if they've got some, some kids who want to play baseball? <laughs> okay. Um, each and every Friday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, I host a show called The Recess. So The Recess is basically provide baseball information for inner city kids and create a platform to where coaches, parents can actually learn from the quote unquote experience um, baseball professionals. If you all want to view that, you can follow me on Instagram. It's coach underscore E underscore OF underscore Guru. That's G-U-R-U. So once again, you guys can follow me at Coach underscore E underscore OF underscore Guru, that's G-U-R-U, that's on Instagram. We also, after every episode, we place it on YouTube. Um, YouTube, you can type in Coach Coach E, Outfield Guru, or you can type in The Recess, and it should come up. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me, my email is CoachEOFG at gmail.com. Got it. And uh, Mr. Broom. I am teaching my students through Google Class, and I will confess something. I despise and hate technology. <laughs> Give me a dry erase board and I can go crazy. But since I've had to upgrade my game in the past couple of years and use Promethean boards and Mimeo boards and Google Meets and Google Class, I will confess I'm leaning more towards technology. So. I've, I've, I've been learning how to engage my students in a way where they don't laugh at me anymore and say, Mr. Broom, you don't know that? And I'll be like, what does that mean? You know, is somebody Twittering right now? They'll laugh, no, nah, 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 you mean tweet, tweet, tweet. So we're, 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 learning in our, we're learning in our new culture and in our new climate to be actively engaged, though we can't be around each other. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. Yes. 
and Mr. Scott, you're the tech coordinator at your school. And I don't know, are you still giving chess lessons? How's that working out with? So I am the tech coordinator at my school. I do every now and then do give chess lessons. My preference is to work with the younger students with chess. And the reason why is because um, chess is so, so, so very valuable a skill. It really teaches you how to think through any problem that comes across you. If you know how to play chess, you know how to think through anything. Uh, what I am working on right now, the school that I work at, we have an aviation component to where uh, if you are in Chicago, you can graduate from Air Force Academy High School with a private pilot's license if you apply yourself. Uh, through some of our partners that we have at Air Force, I am currently developing an online course for the history of technology in aviation. That is not directly with the school, that is through uh, our partners. We obviously, we're Air Force, so we have a lot of partners within the aviation um, career. If you go on an aviation track, we have a lot of partners in that. And we are developing online courses for that just because we want to make sure the brain drain, A, doesn't happen this summer, B, um, the future is not set in stone. Therefore, we need to make sure that our babies are being fed regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm glad that you guys verbally committed that you'll come back because we'll have to do um, some other episodes um, focused around education. I just want to let you guys know that, you know, my podcast, though I say it's for Black women, you all are my second set of black men on on the uh, on the podcast so you know no problems with talking to black men and i think for the black women who are listening or women in general they need to hear and see some strong black men who are you know doing great things in our community and for our community so um it has definitely been a pleasure so thank you since the bras took over my show today <laughs> The for the win. No, it certainly has been a pleasure. Um, I appreciate it and I look forward to connecting with you all again soon. So as I leave all of my guests, I always tell them to make sure that they light it up and shine bright like a diamond. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and my conversation with Myron, Ernest, and Trevor. You know, I think it's so important to hear the perspectives and experiences of our Black men, especially when they're working diligently in our community and on behalf of our youth. If you have a comment, would like to leave a review about today's episode, please feel free to do so. You can leave a review within the podcast platform or you can send a message via Facebook, Instagram, or you can leave a comment within the comment sections on YouTube. Whatever you do, make sure that you check back in next week for a new episode of Light It Up. And don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with your family and friends. I'll look forward to you checking in with us next week. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or 
www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.